Hi, I'm Ria. And I'm James. And this is Ether and Icor, a podcast about the stories behind stories in folklore, fairy tales, mythology, and the gothic. This week, we're talking about the Wild Hunt. Yeah. This is one of those ones where it's, is this folklore, is this mythology? It's kind of both. Yeah. Because if you're going off the technical definition Mm -hmm. of mythology, where it is stories that are sacred... You get some mythic stories mm. tied up in the Wild Hunt. Yeah. And in some versions, it is strictly folklore, but that's mm. not true of all of them. So it's mm-hmm. accurate to say that it is both folklore and mythology, yes. depending on which culture's tradition you're looking at. Yeah, it's a very common motif in European folklore, but it is not exclusive to Northern Europe. And there are usually mythic links in these stories. So what is... The Wild Hunt, you may be asking. It is traditionally a procession of spectral hunters led across the night sky, usually being led either by a deity, which is where we get the mythology, mm-hmm. or a legendary hero of some kind. The hunters themselves can be spirits of the dead, sometimes they're Valkyries, sometimes mm-hmm. they're elves or fairies. There's a range of riders. Mm -hmm. Some traditions have it being synonymous with storms or changes of the season. So this is one of those like etiological myths again. Mm -hmm. Uh, The clamoring of the wild hunt um, is like the wind and the thunder in a winter storm. Most often it's in winter and some of the leaders of the hunt have ties with Yule or the winter solstice. Sometimes it's the gods bringing blessings and accepting offerings. Sometimes it's said to be a portent or an omen of war or famine or other catastrophes. Uh, Sometimes it's an omen of death for the person witnessing it or just in general. Yeah, and that's more on the folkloric, even fairy tale Mm -hmm. side of it, where you get, like, if you see this, it's an omen of your death or the death of someone close to you. Mm -hmm. There are stories where you can join the hunt. Mm -hmm. So you can essentially just astral project and go and join these riders and leave your body behind. There are stories of people joining the hunt unwillingly. Yes. Um, Like if you happen to be in their path, you get swept up Mm -hmm. in the hunt and will be transported miles away or to another realm. This can be a... An accident, like that they're just not paying attention and you happen to be in their way or they can actively be hunting you. Mm -hmm. So you know how I was a completely normal child Uh uh, who had very normal reading habits? So I read about the Wild Hunt Mm -hmm. when I was little and I was terrified of it because, (laughs) because it can sweep you up without you doing anything wrong like if you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. you can get swept up in the wild hunt and i was convinced it was going to (laughs) happen to me and i was terrified (laughs) i never read further into the wild hunt Mm. it's never really been an area of study for me because every single time (laughs) it comes up i'm just like no i don't want that thank you (laughs) i would not like to take part thank you (laughs) but looking back on it now you know what i could have done worse yeah it would have been all right Mm -hmm. So the term the Wild Hunt was popularized by Jacob Grimm. He's back. He's back. It's that guy. <clears throat> He's in this season too. <laughs> He's um, everywhere. <clears throat> the term came about in a comparative study he did in um, a treatise he wrote called German Mythology. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> That's the But yeah, this was in 1835. So this is where we get the blurring of folklore and mythology. Because obviously Jacob Grimm was a folklorist. 
Mm-hmm. So his approach to sort of looking into the wild hunt was this idea that the folklore was rooted in pre-Christian Germanic pagan belief. So he was looking into the oral tradition of peasant stories and superstitions, as well as sort of written texts from medieval and early modern periods referencing pagan beliefs. Mm-hmm. There's some criticism of his approach because it is very biased. It's, it's the same criticism, essentially, that you get with the fairy tale side yeah. of his work. Where... Like, he's coming to it with an agenda. Yes. And, like, his own political bias and yes. religious beliefs. So. And that is true of any folklorist. Oh, yeah. And any historical account mm-hmm. like like this at all, ever. But it is worth keeping in mind with Grimm because mm. people have a tendency to forget that with yeah. the Grimms and other fairy tale tellers for mm. some reason. Like we're still dealing with historical people who existed in a world that shaped them and that shaped their agenda mm-hmm. with writing these story their versions of these stories yeah. down. That's just my little pin that I have to put in every discussion of the Grimms. Mm. He's very focused on the idea that this is a solely Germanic phenomenon, which, as we'll get to, it's not. Yeah. By Germanic, I don't, like, the term encompasses, like, Scandinavia and it does. Anglo-Saxon. It's not just Germany, just to clarify, because when we get into it, you'll be going, that's not German. Um, <laughs> so, some of the texts that he may have looked at, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is a collection of Anglo-Saxon manuscripts... The Wild Hunt is first mentioned in 1127 in this manuscript. In the 17th century, we have a book called Laponia by a Swedish writer, Johannes Schefferus, Swedish philosopher, humanist, mm-hmm. who wrote a book about the Sami people. Yes, so he wrote this in 1673 and he recounts stories from the Sami people that refer to the Wild Hunt. I'm not sure if that's the name that he uses, whether the translation is directly the Wild Hunt, but it is recognisably the same thing. Mm-hmm. So There's no citation for this on the wiki page for Laponia, but it, it says that it was written to give understanding and context to the Sami and their traditions, partly to address rumours and negative propaganda from German pamphlets claiming that the Swedish were using Sami magic on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you get, like, abridged and adapted versions coming later that remove all of the chapters where Schefferus talks about the environment and the Sami living conditions and Mm -hmm. their dwelling places, their clothes, gender roles, hunting, child-raising, all of this general anthropological stuff about the Sami. It's Um, also the kind of humanizing stuff because to this day there exists a lot of discrimination in the Scandinavian countries against the Sami people. For those who don't know, they are um, indigenous. Yeah, they're an indigenous people in largely Norway and Sweden, but also in Finland. And they have historically faced pretty much the same sort of discrimination that indigenous people in the Americas have. It, it is very much the same story of, yeah. like, colonizers coming in and Swedifying or Norwegifying mm-hmm. <laughs> them, like, telling them they can't learn their own languages, yeah. just destroying their culture and trying to wipe them out mm-hmm. culturally and get them to assimilate. Yeah. It is an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. This is not a distant past no. thing at all. This book wasn't actually in Swedish mm-hmm. for a long time. 
because it's it's in Latin, the original. Didn't get translated into Swedish to even, you know, give this information to Swedes. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, so all these abridged and adapted versions that come later kind of only preserve the chapters he wrote on shamanism and religion. And then they sort of embellish that with tales about magic and sorcery and heathenism, because mm-hmm. of course they do. Speaking of, <laughs> the later kind of Christianization of Europe turns stories of the Wild Hunt from something sacred and mythological mm-hmm. into something demonic to be feared. And that's where it kind of creeps into the folklore side of it is yeah. when it stops being... When know, when Christians get their hands on it. When Christians get their hands on it, yeah. So, to his credit, there is a lot of Germanic traditions around the wild hunt so jacob Grimm is not completely wrong there's a lot of stuff here yeah i mean he's not wrong about but it is not exclusively german yeah that's the thing is like none of the stories that he worked with were exclusively german there are very few stories across the world Mm -hmm. that are exclusively anything because stories are just they travel so lightly Mm -hmm. you can take them anywhere and people do and have for all of time so as I mentioned, Germanic includes Scandinavia mm-hmm. and Anglo-Saxon. So we get Odin, but also Woten, Woden, and all the other variations on his name. Mm-hmm. Most frequently, I would say, in in Northern Europe, as the leader of the hunt. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen anything of the Wild Hunt, there's a very famous painting, Asgard's Lion, mm-hmm. translated title The Wild Hunt of Odin which was painted in 1872 by a Norwegian painter, Peter Nikolai Arbo, and it depicts a horde of riders over the battlefield. Despite it being referred to as the Wild Hunt of Odin, like Odin isn't a recognisable figure mm-hmm. in it. Thor is. Yes. He's there with a crown and his goat-led chariot, mm-hmm. and he's holding Mjolnir aloft. Mm-hmm. He's a little back, he's not like the vanguard. You have... A figure who's possibly Sigurd, who's a Germanic hero and dragon slayer at the head of the party with some Valkyries and what looks like mortal women being like captured by the hunt. There's just a couple of naked women like swooning in the arms of some riders. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Why was I afraid of this? <laughs> Fun fact, this painting is the cover of the 1988 album Bloodfire Death from the Swedish metal band Bathory, named after Elizabeth Bathory. Yes, and I meant to listen to it before we recorded mm. this, but I have been in a Lord of the Lost hole. Understandably, it's Eurovision baby. Yeah, Eurovision baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I, I cannot tell you whether or not this album is good. I can only tell <laughs> you that it exists. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I'm able to take Blood and Glitter off <laughs> repeat, I will let you know mm-hmm. how I find it. So the... Horde in the painting is presumably the Einherjar, mm-hmm. which are the residents of Valhalla, Odin's Hall, mm-hmm. who ride out at Ragnarok to slay monsters. Mm-hmm. You can get some idea of like Christians turning this into a, a demonic thing where these, you know, this myth of heroic warriors fighting monsters becomes like ghostly demonic figures preying on poor Christians. Yeah. Yeah. So Odin, who goes by many names, mm-hmm. not just across like the different areas. It's, it's kind of like it's... Um, the epithets for Greek gods. Yeah. You think people in Lord of the Rings have a lot of names? 
<laughs> I mean, Tolkien got that from somewhere, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. So he gets names for all of his various roles and like areas of divinity, and two of which are Yolnir and Yaloherr. That's how I would pronounce it, yes. Which roughly translate to Master of Yule. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this is traditionally the time of year that the hunt is most commonly mm-hmm. seen. I will say in reference to the painting mm-hmm. that we were discussing earlier that Thor is also associated with Yule. So it makes sense yeah, that yeah. he's... Yeah, there's the Yule connection, there's the Wild Hunt connection. Mm-hmm. There he is. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, that is also why the Yule book... Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember what they call it in Swedish... That's why it burns every year, because yeah. you used to sacrifice a goat to Thor at Yule. Yeah. And we've stopped doing that, and it's not going so great, it's kids. Nice. So you gotta, you gotta sacrifice a goat to Thor. Whether that is a real goat or a big one made out of straw, doesn't matter. You just gotta do it. Mm-hmm. I say it doesn't matter. It probably matters more now. Like, you will probably get in more <laughs> trouble now. For sacrificing a real ghost, yeah. so maybe don't do that. But the straw one, that should be fair game. Yeah. And I know they keep putting stuff up to stop us doing it, but like... Why? Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. But people are always like, why do people always burn the thing? Be- because Thor. Mm-hmm. It's not a mystery. Moving on. As well as Thor, there are other figures in Germanic traditions that are tied to Yule. Uh, and the solstice as well, who are sometimes put as the leader of the hunt. There is Holder, also known as Hulda, Holla, Frau Holla, mm-hmm. who's like a folkloric figure in northern Germany. Mm-hmm. But Jacob Grimm argued that she was probably a goddess before she was the folkloric figure. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so there is a fairy tale. There is. And when you were telling me about all of this and you said, um, like, Holda or Hulda or Holla, I was like, oh, like Frau Holla. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly like Frau Holla. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fairy tale that she is in, in the Grimm's mm-hmm. book, in case you're not familiar, there's a woman who has a daughter and a stepdaughter, and uh, her stepdaughter is beautiful and kind, and her own daughter is ugly and mean. Mm-hmm. The usual setup. The kind stepdaughter goes to a well and I can't remember exactly what she's doing. She's doing something by the well, and she, like, falls in. And she ends up in this other realm, and has to, like, she passes by someone that needs help, and she helps them, and she, like, does all of these kind things for seemingly no reward. And then she arrives at the house of Frau Holla, mm. and she works for Frau Holla for some period of time, mm. And then goes back to her own realm, but because she's been so kind and hardworking, Frau Holla gives her. It's the diamonds and toads thing. She so like, like she gets her with gold. Yeah, so and... she gets uh, jewels and gold and mm-hmm. riches and wonders, and goes back home to her evil stepmother mm-hmm. and stepsister, and has all of this treasure. And so the stepmother is like, "Oh well, I need to send my own daughter to go get a treasure as well." And she sends her daughter to the well to do the same thing, but her daughter refuses to help anyone on her way. She's rude and mean. When she gets to Frau Holla's house, she refuses to work. She won't help. She won't do anything. And so Frau Holla fires her. Like she, <laughs> like she let the nice daughter stay as long as she wanted him. And it was the time when she was like, I would like to go home. That's when she went home. Mm-hmm. But Frau Holla fires the, <laughs> the 
rude and mean one. And she says, this is what you have earned with your work. And she just, like, showers her with toads. Or sometimes, like, she goes back home and then, like, every time she opens her mouth, a toad falls out. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And then it was one I saw where it was, like, coal. Yeah. Which may ring a bell or make you think of Sinterklaas. Yeah, like, sure. But... You know, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's the Yule thing, and you know, the good children are rewarded with gifts, and mm-hmm. the bad children get a lump of coal. Mm-hmm. And even like the idea of a mystical figure riding around at Yule mm-hmm. and doling out blessings or punishments, you know, the hunt and like Santa Claus kind of have a weird overlap. But yes, so Holder, her festival is midwinter. And um, she's connected to the spirit world through magic, the magic of spinning and weaving, Mm -hmm. witches were said to ride with her on distaffs. Mm -hmm. Likely she and the Hulda in Scandinavian folklore, Mm -hmm. who are like seductive forest spirits. Mm -hmm. um, Or rocks. Yeah, I was going to say similar, (laughs) translates as like, hidden people so very similar to our rock friends Uh in Iceland they likely come from Huld who in some texts is like a mistress of Odin Mm -hmm. and she's also a witch and a seer Mm -hmm. so so yeah you can you can see why some of her stories would cross over to make her be the leader of the wild hunt Mm -hmm. good for her yeah I do love it's so funny when people try to be like, oh, in Viking culture, like, women were exactly the way they are in European, mm-hmm. like, tragically um, stuck in the home and not allowed to do anything. It's like, literally all of Scandinavian folklore is women doing cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Women can ride in the wild hunt. Women yeah. can be on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Women can be ruling over halls of the dead, under sea, mm-hmm. or wherever. Mm-hmm. Women can do anything. Yes. Speaking of women, <laughs> another woman. Speaking of women. <laughs> um, <we> also, <laughs> another woman who is the leader of the Wild Hunt sometimes is Perkta, also known as Perkt or Berkta, mm-hmm. uh, who comes from Alpine paganism. Mm-hmm. Our old pal Jacob Grimm again. He sort of argues that she is like the southern equivalent or the cousin of Holder, stemming from the same older goddess, uh, because you tend to get Holla Holder Holder in northern Germany mm-hmm. and Perkta in southern Germany. Yeah, it's syncretism yeah. again, essentially. It's the same thing, but with a different name for mm-hmm. different regions. They're both guardians of beasts, they're both associated with midwinter and the 12 days of Christmas and spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually shows up in Pentiment. Yes! Um, so if you have played uh i don't know if it's just if it's popular or if it's popular amongst people i know yes but pentiment great indie game uh you should play it if you haven't also you should play it because i'm about to spoil it big time (laughs) if you are thinking about playing it and you haven't yet skip forward a couple minutes because i'm i'm gonna spoil it big time but perkta is a fairly important a component in Pentiment. So the game is set in 16th century Bavaria. Uh, some of the older townsfolk will tell the player character about Perkta. Um, Il Peter, who has a great name, mm-hmm. uh, at the very, very beginning of the game uh, is complaining, because he's an old sick man, mm-hmm. uh, he's complaining about the weather. 
But the thing is that he says that the bad weather is because the younger generations don't honor Perkta anymore. Mm. It's because they don't leave her offerings. It's because they don't acknowledge her power and respect her. And that's why the weather is bad. Mm. That's why the crops have been poorer every year. He's You kind of play it off a little bit as, oh, old man yells at Cloud. Mm. But he's not wrong mm-hmm. is the thing like he's noting that the decline in belief in perkta has material consequences in their daily lives mm-hmm. and it's actually going to be a very important part of later happenings in the game in act two of the three-act game the saint john's eve celebration despite the christian name seems to be a big mishmash of christian and pagan traditions understandably because it's midsummer yeah Otilia, the widow, calls to Perkta, I believe in Romanche, mm-hmm. but I haven't replayed it recently enough to be sure, but I'm pretty sure it was Romanche. Mm-hmm. But she does invoke Perkta. And there's an earlier part in the game where she tells somebody that uh, they should have Perkta's dogs set on him. Mm-hmm. And the dogs are going to be a wild hunt thing yeah. as well. Also for the St. John's Eve celebrations, Ill Peter, him again, Uh, tells the player character not to go into the forest at night without a mask on because Perkta punishes all the humans she finds in the forest. So if you're disguised and you don't look human, then you're going to be fine. But if you're human and you're in the forest, Perkta and the Wild Hunt are going to kill you. Mm -hmm. So in the first act, we talk about her as a beneficial person. Like she's somebody that will grant you good weather if you are kind Mm -hmm. to her. Uh, and then in Act 2, it's like, she's going to fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that good and bad um, sort of thing. Because you you get that a lot in mythology in general. Yeah. But Germanic mythology in particular, um, every, everybody's got their good and bad sides. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a very Christian thing for like the gods to only be good. Yeah. And then in Act 3 of Pentiment, we get the Perchtenlauf. The Perchten are the beasties that make up Perkta's retinue. She has her dogs, but then there's also these kind of... I I shouldn't say demonic, Mm. but they are kind of presented that way. These animals that are not like a specific animal. Mm. And so the townsfolk dress up as the Perkton and hold a procession. Interestingly, the procession is not led by Perkta. They have a bright saint, in quotey marks, one of the girls in the town dresses up as the bright saint, mm-hmm. and she's meant to represent the local patron, Saint Satia, who is, this is the spoiler, she is syncretized with the Roman Diana, uh, who is syncretized with the Greek Artemis, for those of you keeping score at home. So the Catholic Church was not thrilled mm-hmm. with the tradition of the Perchtenlaufen, and this is this is a real life thing. Um, I have shifted to real life. Catholic Church did not love this. Mm -hmm. They also don't love it in the game, but real life thing. Some local authorities banned them, but the bans were largely ignored because Mm -hmm. what are they going to do? Stop us? Right. So yeah, so this kind of syncretism with a saint leading the procession seems like a pretty standard capitulation to the Catholics and a pretty realistic example of how syncretism tends to work. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of get these 
traditions in different places where you see a blend of Christianity and whatever the indigenous religion is. Mm-hmm. It works exactly like this. You yeah. have um, a Christian saint leading the procession of the Perkton Malfin. Yes. <laughs> or of the Perkton. That's my Pentiment sidebar. <laughs> it's the wild hunt again. It's this, just the wild hunt. But this time with a saint, question mark? Yeah, we threw a saint in there because otherwise everyone at the Abbey was going to get really pissy with us. Mm-hmm. So... Look, there's a saint in it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Just leave us alone. Spoiler again for Pentiment. Um, the Abbey was not as cool with it as you would hope. Mm-hmm. Moving over to the Anglo-Saxon side of Germanic traditions, mm-hmm. we have King Hela, mm-hmm. who is sometimes the leader. Uh, sometimes he gets identified as like a Woden mm-hmm. figure. Yeah, because he pops up in um, folklore in the British Isles, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of the British Isles... Folklore and mythology um, is influenced by the Vikings. Yeah. So a 12th century writer, Walter Mapp, in De Nugis Curialium, tells a tale of King Hela, who he identifies as a legendary king of the Britons, of which there are many. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're just lousy with legendary kings. <laughs> in this story, Hela meets with an unnamed dwarven king, and they make a pact that if the dwarf king attends... Hela's wedding, Hela will reciprocate and go to the dwarf's wedding a year later. Quick note that, like, Germanic dwarves are closer to elves or fairies mm-hmm. than, like, fantasy dwarves. Yeah. But if you want to picture him as Gimli, I'm not going to stop you. Mm-hmm. Not to go off on a tangent, but, like, <laughs> definitely to go off on a tangent. Is um, a thing in Skyrim where mm-hmm. the dwarven things are Dwema, which are the deep elves. So oh, they're actually okay. a race of elves. I like that. Yeah, it's really cool. That's, so that's... cool, Todd. You did a cool thing. Good, <laughs> Good job, job, Todd. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, they're like they're like the Dwemer, if you're familiar with the Elder Scrolls. Mm-hmm. When we talk about dwarves, they're actually elves. So yes, the Dwarven King comes and brings like a vast host and loads of gifts and food and drinks, so much so that the guests don't touch any of the provisions that Heller has provided himself. They're just feasting on the stuff that the Dwarven King has brought. Mm-hmm. And so eventually the, the Dwarven King reminds Hela of his promise and leaves. And then a year later he sends for Hela, who, agreeing to the pact, summons his men and they bring some gifts and they pass through a cliff into mm-hmm. the other world to attend this wedding. They party for three days with the dwarves. Hell yeah. Which, given, like, the shit that the guy was bringing to Hela's wedding, like, yeah, they've got provisions, man. I would party with them for three days, too. Mm-hmm. So they spend three days there, and then they're like, all right, it's it's home time now. This wedding ceremony has wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, we should la- leave all of the dogs in mm-hmm. for the Wild Hunt episode, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll do the where we stop talking for other episodes. Yeah. But this time, if the dogs are here, the dogs are here. Mm-hmm. If you hear barking, that's just the hunt. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the... They've come for me, but I'm okay with it now. <laughs> so the Dwarven King gives them some parting gifts, including um, hunting animals, and in particular, a small bloodhound. Mm-hmm. Um, Puppy. So small that he can sit in the saddle with King Hela. Mm-hmm. Um, and he advises them that none of the men should dismount before the dog jumps down from Hela's horse. Mm-hmm. 
Say, All right, I love guy. to receive specific instructions in a folklore story. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to go so well. Mm-hmm. It's going to be totally fine. Here's a very small magical hound I'm giving you. Do not get off your horse until the dog gets off your horse. Okay. Okay. And then he didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they leave the cliff and they come across this elderly shepherd. And Hela asks the shepherd for news of his queen. And the shepherd replies that he can barely understand what Hela is saying. For I am a Saxon and you are a Briton. Who are the Britons? Exactly. <laughs> Who are the Britons? <laughs> and he sa- he tells Hela that he had heard a story of an ancient Briton queen of that name who disappeared into the cliff that these have just emerged from with a dwarf king and was never seen again. So presumably, you know, the wedding that he was attending was his own queen marrying the dwarf king. <laughs> Which is a party foul, it should be said. Yeah. That's uh, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the shepherd says that the Saxons have ruled the kingdom for 200 years at this point and driven out the Britons. Hela, thinking he's just been partying for three days, not 200 years, mm-hmm. uh, nearly falls out of his saddle with shock and some of his men dismount. You know, because you know when you're really stressed and you get off a horse? Yeah. You know that, that that happened to me once. Mm-hmm. I was really stressed because the horse I was on uh, tried to throw me, and so I was really stressed when I got off that horse. <laughs> but when the stress is coming from <laughs> you and not the horse, yeah, and you're like, I can't be on a horse about this. <laughs> I must dismount to take in this news. Yeah, but on doing so, they just they crumble to dust mm-hmm. and when they hit the ground. So Hela, remembering the instruction Hubby. about the puppy. Uh, warns the rest of his men that they have to wait for the dog to jump down, but of course he doesn't. So they are forced to ride forever in their endless hunting party, Mm -hmm. waiting for this dog to get off the damn horse. Mm -hmm. There is an alternate version of this story in which Herla has to ride in the wild hunt until he saved England, and then he gets to rest. So it's kind of a reverse King in the Mountain Mm -hmm. myth, which we will get to next time. (laughs) There is a French figure, Elekine, who probably comes from Hela as well. Like, it's like a bastardization of Hela King. King. Mm-hmm. Hela King uh, is a masked figure who roams the countryside with a pack of demons, chasing souls of the damned back to hell, or sometimes chasing Christians, depending on who's telling the story. He is a stock figure in French passion plays, and is where we eventually get Harlequin, the Commedia dell'arte character mm-hmm. from, which is just a cool sidebar. It is. The Commedia <laughs> dell'arte is really cool. So yeah, Harley Quinn is directly connected to the Wild Hunt. Yes. <laughs> she should lead the Wild Hunt. Oh my god. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> With her big hammer. Yeah. God. Um, and her poison girlfriend. Yeah. Women can do anything. <laughs> can we call Margot Robbie and ask her to make this movie? <laughs> I think she would say yes. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, an English monk who was cloistered in Normandy in 1091, uh, reports seeing Helikin's troop. Mm-hmm. Um, he spells it differently to Helikin, but it's the same thing. Uh-huh. He saw Harley Quinn, yes. He saw Harley Quinn riding around with her hyenas. Uh-huh. Oh my God! <laughs> this gets more perfect every time <laughs> we think about it. But yes, so like post-Christianization, you tend to get... The leader starts to become more like folklore heroes or like legendary heroes Mm -hmm. rather than deities. And then eventually you even get historical figures Mm -hmm. in in the tales. But before we get to that, we're going to conjure some spirit for Harley Quinn to hit with her big old hammer. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this and 
Jägermeister is the obvious choice. It Yeah, you kind of have to do it, but also it's gross. It's gross. I don't like it, so I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, inspired by Jägermeister, uh-huh. we could stick with the kind of digestive herbal liqueur. Because I do generally like them. It's just yeah. that Jaeger sucks. Yeah, I just it's it's the aniseed and the licorice. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. So, I was thinking we could do a red vermouth mm-hmm. with Benedictine mm-hmm. and some whiskey mm-hmm. and maybe a dash of orange bitters to bring out the orange flavors in the Benedictine. That sounds fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. And I would like it right now, please. Mm-hmm. And also, when I suggested Benedictine... Mm-hmm. I, I did uh, mention, because I'm I'm in a Lord of the Lost hole, but I'm also at the same time in a Pentiment hole. Mm-hmm. I exist in two places at once, mm-hmm. because I am a fey creature. And, and bisexual. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Bisexuals choose two realms to be <laughs> in at all times, and I have chosen Pentiment and Lord of the Lost <laughs> for right now. But yes, so the monks in Pentiment are Benedictine monks. So there's our tenuous Mm -hmm. link (laughs) to something in this episode. So what do you want to call this cocktail? Ah, fuck. I forgot. We had to think of a name. Um, Yeah, I didn't put one in because I was like, I'll have thought of one by the time we record. And if you had asked me, I would have said, you'll have thought of one by the time Mm. we record. We'll be Mm -hmm. fine. I mean, we could probably just call it the Wild Hunt. Yeah. Or we could call it Perchta's Dogs. I think a Wild Hunt is a better general name for a cocktail. I agree. We'll call it the, the Wild Hunt. Unless we Unless come up... I think of something better, in which case we can... <laughs> yeah. We'll update you we'll on update. that. We'll update. Yes. So, red vermouth, benedictine, scotch, and a dash of orange bitters. Delicious. Let's make them. Let's do But before we do that, (laughs) we'll get back to doing an episode of the podcast, maybe. Mm -hmm. So, as mentioned, old Jake. Old Old Jakey. Old Jakey. I wanted to make this an exclusively Germanic thing, but it is not. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, other European stories as well as elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So, in the Netherlands and Belgium, uh, specifically Flanders, which is the Dutch-speaking region of Belgium, mm-hmm. we get the book riders or the Bokkenriders, mm-hmm. um, who are ghosts or demons that ride through the sky on flying goats that were given to them by a demon or the devil. Mm-hmm. They ride through the sky on flying goats, which is... That sounds cool, cool as hell. As hell. <laughs> hell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the... These stories were common enough that in the 18th century, the name uh, Bockenreiders was used by groups of criminals like highwaymen mm-hmm. in Limburg to frighten the locals into giving them their money. That's so metal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it wasn't even like on the highway. Sometimes it would just be like writing a letter that like the thing that I read was like saying he used the word Satan three times <gasps> in the letter. It's <laughs> just being like, Satan will get you if you do not give us the book and writers your money. Give us your money. Satan, Satan. Leave it here. Satan said to do it. <laughs> P.S. Satan. And it's just like, 
<laughs> I love that as a hustle. That's it's so the funny. laziest fucking hustle, and I love it. God, I wish that kind of thing still worked. Mm-hmm. And we know this because, like, this guy specifically was on trial. Oh. <laughs> so, like, the letter came up, like, in the trial. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's, yeah, see, you don't want to get caught <laughs> no. is the thing. But yeah, I just like this. It's a nice, like, Scooby-Doo meets Dick Turpin vibe. Yeah, I do love it. It's great. <laughs> I do love it so much. <laughs> Um, you do get some Dodge variations that feature Woden because uh-huh. that guy gets around. Yeah. But you also have Gates met de Hundis. Uh-huh. Uh, or Dirk met de Hundis. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Gate and or Dirk with his little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Derek. <laughs> or Dirk met den Bier, which is Dirk with his boar or bear. Uh-huh. Who is Gate? Who is Dirk? It's, I don't know. It's Derek. Who's this guy? It's Derek. It's Derek. No idea, but sometimes in the Netherlands we have this guy. Uh-huh. The Goat Riders and this guy. And Derek. And Derek. <laughs> you can find terms for the hunt in Czech, in Kashubin, Belarusian, Polish, Slovene, all of these Slavic languages. You also get Italian and regional Spanish variations. Mm-hmm. So it's all across Europe, not just Germanic countries. The translations for their terms are usually wild hunt, but you also get things that translate more closely to dead hunt, infernal hunt, the host, the old army, the deadly retinue, the war company, and the troop of ghosts. And all of these are great metal band names. Mm -hmm. I want to be in the deadly retinue. Yeah, the deadly retinue is my favorite one. Slovenia has Janik or Yurilo, uh, who is a god of vegetation and springtime leading the hunt. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is Baba, who is like a hag, but she's similar to Perkta. Mm-hmm. And there's also somebody called Petra, which possibly is similar to Perkta again. Mm-hmm. Not as much information on her, but sometimes she leads because, again, women be leading the hunt. Yeah. In Lombardy and Italy, you get King Beatrix, who we will come back to, but you also get La Donna del Zoch, the lady of the game. She's a gamer. Yeah, she's a gamer girl. We also have Celtic variations on the Wild Hunt. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah. In Ireland, our old pal Finn is back. It's Finn again. It's McCool and the gang. (laughs) (laughs) They lead the fairy cavalcade. Mm -hmm. um, And here the spectral riders are fairies rather than spirits of the dead. Mm -hmm. Fairy cavalcade, also great metal band name. Mm -hmm. Also a track name. Oh. Um, on an album, The Children of Leah, by Patrick Cassidy, who's an Irish composer, mm-hmm. who's done several film scores. He did Hannibal and Veronica Guerin, among other things. Mm. But yeah, he has an album called The Children of Leah, and one of the tracks on that is The Fairy Cavalcade. Mm-hmm. So this idea of like fairy riders in the hunt is connected with the Stuag in Scotland. I, I may be mispronouncing this. Yeah, I f- I'm... Almost positive you're mispronouncing it, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Well, when I was looking at the IPA, it is a hard G. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Then maybe you're right. The Slagnamav, the the host or the host of the dead, are a fairy host of the unforgiven dead who fly through the air and abduct people Mm -hmm. and take them away to a faraway location. So again, you can see where this Mm -hmm. fits in with the wild hunt. There is a superstition that they fly in from the west to capture the souls of dying people. So you keep the western doors and windows of the house shut mm-hmm. if you have somebody ill in the house, lest the slug takes them. Yeah. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. In Wales, mm-hmm. we get Aron, or later Gwynapnuth, 
as the leader of the hunt. Mm-hmm. Arun was the king of Anun, which is the other world or afterlife in Welsh mythology. He features in a medieval prose stories, the four branches of the Mabinogi, which is like a set of four interlinking Welsh myths. He's most prominently in the first one, but he gets referenced again in the fourth. Later on, we get Gwynapnuth, who is a psychopomp and a hunter. Funky little psychopomp. Yeah. He gets given the role of the king of Anun and the leader of the hunt. Uh, he's also sometimes king of the fair folk, and he might also be a personification of winter, which ties back in with the Germanic traditions. Mm-hmm. So the Kunanun, the hounds of Anun, are spectral hounds from the other world who hunt with Gwyn to bring souls to the other world. Puppies. Yes, good puppies. Mm-hmm. So Gwyn's role as a psychopomp is probably where this comes from. In the first branch of the Mabinogi, Aron sends the hounds just to hunt animals mm-hmm. rather than souls. And in that story, the Welsh hero Powell sees the hounds kill a stag and then sends his own dogs after them. And Aron has Powell fight Hafken, who is like his rival, mm-hmm. as repentance for chasing his dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the Kunanun are white with red ears. Mm-hmm. White animals in Welsh and generally Celtic mythology are usually supernatural beings or owned by gods or supernatural mm-hmm. beings. And red in Celtic culture is mm-hmm. associated with death yeah you get a lot of white stags yeah. in uh celtic folklore and fairy mm-hmm. tales manannan's horse is white mm-hmm. finn mm-hmm. has white hair yeah yeah some versions will have it be a death omen to hear the kunanun howling mm-hmm. um and their growls are said to be loudest at a distance it's when they grow softer that they're near yeah you get the Kunanun being dubbed as hellhounds, but that's just Christians. That's just Christian bullshit. Yeah. And it is a misnomer because Anun is a paradise, so it's closer to heaven than hell. Yeah. They're not hellhounds, they're heavenhounds. Yeah. If you're going to be Christian about it. They're good boys. They're good boys. They are said to hunt on specific nights. This is usually different saints days, because mm-hmm. again, the Christianization coming in. Sometimes it's over the 12 days of Christmas, which ties in with the Germanic mm-hmm. people. And sometimes it's just generally in autumn and winter. Yeah. I don't know anything about hunting, but that sounds like a hunting season. Sure. sure. Or maybe it's not, and that's why it's a supernatural thing. Mm. <laughs> I don't I don't know anything about it. It could be either. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yes, yeah, so in England, and this is like... I know we've done Anglo-Saxon, but this is like English as sort of separate from the Anglo-Saxon stuff. Mm-hmm. You get in 1127, which is I mentioned earlier in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, specifically in the Peterborough Chronicle, which is a more local thing of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the account from 1127, that several reliable witnesses, including monks, so you know mm-hmm. they're reliable, yeah. <laughs> claimed that they'd seen the wild hunt riding between Peterborough and Stamford over nine weeks ending at Easter. Mm-hmm. And they describe like 20 or 30 huge riders on black goats and horses. Um, I have a quote directly from the Chronicle. Many men both saw and heard a great number of huntsmen hunting. The huntsmen were black, huge and hideous and rode on black horses and black he-goats and their hounds were jet black with eyes like saucers and horrible. This was seen in the very deer park of the town of Peterborough and in all the woods that stretch from the same town to Stamford and in the night the monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Mm-hmm. They sound cool. Yeah. But it's just like, yes, they were doing this for nine weeks. 
It's a long time. Sure is. So yeah, that's one account we have in England. Don't know who the leader is there. It doesn't because you know the monks aren't gonna identify a god. Another leader that we get in English tradition is Hen the Hunter. Uh-huh. Um, Hen the Hunter is a ghost story that you get in southern England, specifically Berkshire. Mm-hmm. And the first written reference we have to Hen the Hunter is actually in Shakespeare, mm-hmm. um, in the Merry Wives of Windsor. But it's pretty safe to say that Shakespeare is referencing a story that came before him yeah. as he usually is yes so there are quite a few references yeah. to things we either no longer have mm-hmm. or to things that we know predated him uh-huh. but don't really have written sources on it's just that shakespeare's works have obviously been well preserved yes uh, in ways that other things have not yes so because like this is local to berkshire and windsor forest specifically is why he references Hearn the Hunter because he's around Windsor Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hearn is said to appear on winter nights around Windsor Forest, often on a ghostly horse with a pack of spectral hounds like our good pal Gwyn. Or Perkta with her or dogs. Or Perkta with her dogs. He's recognisable by the pair of antlers on his head. Yes, which is interesting because people think of that as a pretty standard folklore thing, but it's really not. Yeah. And I wonder if... So many of these, like, cryptids, mm-hmm. but also just, like, folkloric figures that people visualize mm-hmm. as having antlers, mm-hmm. if it comes from this mm-hmm. in some way, or if they're all influenced by something else that has this. Yeah. Because um, I think the most popular one is the one that starts with W that we cannot say, yes. obviously, which is a uh, Native American one. Mm-hmm. But people always draw that with antlers. Yeah. And Every single indigenous source I have seen speaking on this is like, where are y'all getting this? <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see it actually pop up somewhere because it it's not very common. No. So it's interesting to see an actual source on it. Mm-hmm. Hearn, we could be back to Anglo-Saxons here with Hearn being a bastardization of Herion, which is another of Odin's many, many names. Mm-hmm. Specifically, his name as leader of the Einherjar. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense. Yeah. as a theory for where Hearn comes from mm-hmm. uh, or why he gets made a leader of the hunt mm-hmm. but the reason I didn't put it in with Anglo-Saxon stuff is that it could also have come from Canunos or Kernunos the horned god mm-hmm. which shows up in more Gallic than Celtic mythology but both Yeah, there's very little written about Kernunos mm-hmm. Uh, the name only appears with an image in a Roman inscription, which is found on the Pillar of the Boatmen, mm-hmm. which is a monumental column that was erected in Lutetia, which is Paris. Mm-hmm. And it was actually found during construction of the crypts beneath Notre Dame, which we visited last time we were there. Yeah. We didn't cool? see this, though. <laughs> no, because it is it is now on display at the Musée de Cluny. Uh, which we didn't which is, go to. No, the Musée du Moyen-Âge. But yeah, the, the inscription on the pillar mixes both Roman and Gallic gods. Mm-hmm. That's syncretism, baby. It sure is. So, Kernunos is usually depicted with antlers, mm-hmm. sitting cross-legged, wearing a torque around his neck or around his antlers. Mm-hmm. He's usually holding either a bag of coins or a bag of grain and gets associated with stags, serpents, dogs, and bulls. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've been listening to this season probably ringing a lot of bells yeah this guy fits in with a bunch of people but weirdly doesn't get syncretized kernunos doesn't appear to be 
used as an epithet for another existing like Roman god, or mm-hmm. which is really weird. It is very strange. Yeah. Yeah. From the imagery and things that we have of him, what we do know, and the imagery associated with him. We can probably guess that he was like a nature and fertility god or a warrior god. Could also be a psychopomp, which again is why the syncretism not really seeming to happen and like linking him to other gods is odd Mm -hmm. because like it wouldn't be a stretch to link him to like Mercury Mm -hmm. or to Dispater, Mm -hmm. who's like the leader of Dis and roman mythology but yeah so a lot of the evidence that we have of him is on the continent rather than in the british isles so Mm -hmm. we can't say for sure that kernanos would have been worshipped or even known in england but it's not impossible and hern is pretty localized and the angles were around windsor forest Mm -hmm. and again the gauls were in the south so you know we've had that many invaders like the normans and the anglo-saxons and Mm -hmm. If you're not careful, it'll happen again. Yeah. So like... I'm just... It's not a threat. (laughs) It's just a statement. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible that there were just like a small group of people who worshipped Kernanos around Windsor Forest. It's it's come from... Because Kernanos means the horned one. Yeah. So like Kern, Hern, Hern Mm -hmm. Horn. Mm -hmm. Words. Words. In Devon... There are traditions of the wild hunt, specifically across Dartmoor. You get old Crocken as the leader in Devon. The hunt is connected to Wisman's Woods on Dartmoor, where old Crocken lives and rides out from. There is a tour on Dartmoor called Crocken Tour, and there is also a hound tour, mm-hmm. which is supposed to look like a dog. Doesn't looks like maybe like a three-year-old's drawing of a dog. That's but... good. <laughs> There is a description of Old Crocken from a 19th century Devon scholar who describes him as the girtled spirit of the moors. Old Crocken himself grey as granite and his eyebrows hanging down over his glimmering eyes like sedge and his eyes as deep as peat water pools. That's quite an image. Mm-hmm. And like if you look at Crocken Tor, it has like, you know, the overhang and like the craggy thing. So, uh-huh. you know, it could be that he's like an anthropomorphization of this tour so uh-huh. again we have we're coming back to mythology of place with that rocks a man yeah you know <laughs> but he's more commonly known as like a sinister spectral figure riding a skeletal horse which is more metal in, more in line with our usual wild hunt yeah metal figure if you're familiar with sherlock holmes the idea of a spectral hound on dartmoor is probably ringing a bell for you the wish towns sometimes known as crocken towns are the inspiration for the Hound of the Baskervilles. Nice. Well, I said the inspiration for the story, but that's where, like, the, the tales of spectral dogs on the moor. Mm-hmm. It's the Wish Towns, which are crocking towns that he keeps in Wisman's Woods, where they get their name. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can see we've sort of, like, filtered down from gods to this old man who's a rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it filters down... <laughs> I was going to say, and we're going to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Filters down even more where you start to get historical figures. Mm-hmm. And it comes from like legendary figures first. So like you have King Arthur, Gideon in Welsh, and you have Finn and the Lads who are kind of like that borderline of God and mm-hmm. folktale hero. It starts to devolve into stories of mortals. So mm-hmm. Sir Francis Drake, who mm-hmm. is uh, Devon born, gets sort of pulled into the wild hunt and gets said to either lead or just join in 
with the Wild Hunt across Dartmoor specifically. Cool. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Francis Drake's out there riding with a bunch of ghostly figures. So earlier I mentioned Italy as well as the lady of the game having King... Gamer Be- Girl. Gamer Girl having King Beatrix, who another name for Theodoric the Great, who was king of the Ostrogoths, mm-hmm. also gets known Beatrix, and is the origin of Dietrich the Great, who is a Germanic hero. Sometimes he's the leader of the hunt. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why not? You have Valdemar Atterdag, a king of Denmark from 1340 to 1375, who was like a really good king, pulled Denmark back from like really shit times back into an age of prosperity. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those ones where it's a good guy being put in the place of the leader of the hunt. You have Christoph Bernhard von Galen who is a Prince Bishop of Munster, sometimes gets referenced as the leader of the hunt in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Again, another fucking guy just showing up in the Netherlands. But you see a shift again as the leader becomes sort of somebody being punished for wickedness or impiety. Mm -hmm. It's those damned Christians again coming in and turning it into something demonic so the leader can't be like a... A good guy. A good guy, yeah. My favourite name, I'm not sure if it's a hard or a soft J, it's Jan or Jan Tregeagle, mm-hmm. who was a Cornish magistrate and lawyer who, there's a story that he escaped from hell and is being pursued by Satan's hounds. Mm-hmm. You also have Count Arno, a legendary Catalonian nobleman said to be condemned to ride with hounds for eternity while his flesh is consumed by flames for his cruelty and lechery in life. Christian propaganda. Right? What are you going to do? It's like, oh, you fucked a lot? You have to be on fire forever. <laughs> Okay. I. I. Sounds good to me. Um, both Jan or Jan Tregeagle and Count Arno have folk ballads about them, mm-hmm. which I would like to look up. Yes. <laughs> um, there are several stories about nobles like Count Arno, uh, mm-hmm. men and women, um, because women can be leaders of the hunt too, as we've yes. discussed. Um, who either like blasphemed in the strength of the declaration of their love of hunting mm-hmm. or who missed church and went hunting on a Sunday, heavens for <laughs> Um And so they like forgo heaven either willingly or not. In some versions they're forced to lead the hunt, but in other versions they are being chased by the hunt. Mm-hmm. You get one of these in France in the province of Poitou. There's a nobleman called Gallery who was punished for the sin of missing church to go hunting and he is now chased through the night sky by galloping horses and howling wolves Mm -hmm. which interestingly leads us out of Europe because it has a French Canadian variant Mm -hmm. so in Francophonic Canada so like Montreal Montreal and Quebec and you can say Montreal Montreal um (laughs) I know, but I sound so pretentious saying Montréal. Um, <laughs> You're allowed to be pretentious. It's our fucking podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, in French Canadia, you... French Canadian. <laughs> French Canadian. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to be so pretentious and then we're going to say French Canadian. <laughs> yeah. I can... I, these are the realms that I, <laughs> that I occupy as a bisexual, is pretension and silly goofy time. <laughs> Um, yes. So in Francophonic parts of Canada, you have a folk tale called the Chasse Galerie, 
uh, or the flying canoe which is a story about some lumberjacks who make a deal with the devil like it's new year's eve and they want to go and party with their girlfriends Mm -hmm. but they have no way of getting there because uh, of all the snow, um, so they get a flying canoe from the devil. Mm-hmm. To, <laughs> they have to be back by sunup. Man, I just don't think that was worth it. Like, <laughs> I know it's not my deal, so whatever. Um, but... <laughs> but like, if they're as long as they're back by sunup and the canoe doesn't, they don't blaspheme mm-hmm. and they don't touch uh, the steeples of any churches with the canoe, then they they're fine. Okay, why does the devil care if they're touching the steeples of churches? I don't know, maybe it's a hell canoe and it's allergic <laughs> to steeples. Oh, <laughs> that does make sense. <laughs> so this story came about from the story of Galerie, which the French settlers would have brought over with them, and also a First Nations legend about a flying canoe. Mm-hmm. The Chasse Galerie story doesn't have that many obvious wild hunt elements in and of itself, but obviously when they were swapping stories with mm-hmm. the first nations people something in gallery's story must have brought to mind their flying canoe mm-hmm. in its original form and that's syncretism that's baby. syncretism baby stories are what connects us as yeah. humans you go oh that reminds me of this story about a guy we know he had a flying mm-hmm. canoe and is chased across the sky by ghosts or whatever it was mm-hmm. unfortunately we don't know what it was but that's the first nations business and that's fine yeah there was like a collection of canadian folktale stamps mm-hmm. that featured the flying canoe on one of the stamps oh sick yeah and in montreal there's a log ride mm-hmm. that had the flying canoe Yes. Originally, when he told me about this, he told me it was a roller coaster, and then he corrected himself. But I do want the roller coaster version of this. Nothing yeah. against log rides. I just you yeah. told me it was a roller coaster, and I got so excited. And then you were like, "Oh, it's a log ride, actually." And I was like, "Well, I'm less excited now." Yeah, but the devil's like perched on the back of the car. Are you ready? That's in? funny. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. They're lumberjacks, so that's why it's a log ride. Yeah. It makes sense for it to be a log ride. I don't mean to dispute their choice in making it a log ride. Mm -hmm. However, I don't like log rides, (laughs) and I want it to be a roller coaster. That is fair. Mm -hmm. It's not, but (laughs) I'm going with it. Staying in North America, Mm -hmm. you may have been listening to this, and it may have brought to mind the song Ghost Riders in the Sky. I love this song so much, and it took us so long to get here. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I I remember I loved this song as a kid too. I did not want to be taken by the wild hunt, but <laughs> fuck, I loved Ghost Riders <laughs> in the Sky. Mm-hmm. I think that's just me as a person. I have always loved ghosts very much, yes. and I was like, they're riding in the sky. That's sick as hell. Mm-hmm. And I didn't connect it to the wild hunt, which scared me. Yes. <laughs> Genuinely, it was when I was writing the outline to this that you were like, oh, yeah. Um, because my brain separated them to protect me. Yes. <laughs> so this song was written in 1948 by Stan Jones. The most famous version, I think, is Vaughan. Johnny Cash. But I know the Johnny, Johnny Cash Cash's version. version is, yeah. for our audience, probably the Johnny Cash version. Yeah. Yeah, so Stan Jones claims that this song was inspired by a story he heard from a Native American man when he was 12. Mm -hmm. Given where he grew up in Arizona, we can probably guess that the Native American who told him this story was an Apache, and that it's based in the belief that when souls vacate their physical bodies, they reside as spirits in the sky that resemble ghost riders. 
we only have Stan's version of the inspiration. As far as I know, we don't have an exact Native American story that we can go, oh yeah, that's the story that you were told, but that's not our business. Yeah, that's a lot of the stuff with Native Americans specifically mm-hmm. in the States yeah. version. When, when those stories are not written down, that's because they're not for us to know. Yeah, It is closed. Mm-hmm. It is not an open sharing mm-hmm. thing. When these stories do get shared, it's often coerced Mm -hmm. i don't want to like put anyone on blast but there's an element of lying (laughs) that Mm -hmm. has gone into many collections that we have in english Mm -hmm. of native american stories Mm -hmm. so yeah like i always feel a little uncomfortable talking about these stories because largely they are not for outsiders Mm -hmm. of the culture to know we know more than we should yeah and it's like common knowledge and there's not really any taking it back at this point Mm -hmm. but there's still i know from having studied this world of stories Mm -hmm. that most of these are not for outsiders and the things that we do know were not given with the knowledge that they would be disseminated in the way that they are. Yeah, like so. you tell a 12-year-old boy a cool story about ghosts riding through the sky. You don't, you don't expect... expect him to grow up and write a hit song about that. Yeah, like that's, that's probably not something that he was allowed to do. Yeah. There's no taking it back at this point, but... I always have that in my Mm -hmm. mind that these cultures do not want these stories shared Mm -hmm. outside their culture. There are obviously exceptions to this Mm -hmm. and like there are singular people who are okay with sharing their stories. But broadly speaking, we're not supposed to know as much as we do. And yeah, the damage has been done and there's really not a whole lot we can do to take it back Mm -hmm. other than acknowledge Mm -hmm. that we haven't been given the parameters of these specific stories. Mm. We probably shouldn't know them. It may be all right, but we just don't know. Mm. Because of that, we don't know what specific story the guy told Yeah, Stan and, Jones. And the fact that we don't know it probably means we aren't supposed to. Yeah, So, but you can clearly see a connection to the Wild Hunt in just the vague version that we have yeah. in the song. Mm-hmm. Which is very cool. Like It's so cool. That song fucks. I do love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I did just put all those disclaimers on it, but y'all, I love that song. It's a great song. <laughs> it's a great song. Another cool outside of Europe thing that I learned about just in researching this episode, but in Hawaiian mythology, we have the Night Marchers. And that, we'll put this in the notes, but there is a Hawaiian guy who is like all the spooky stuff, like he does tours and things and mm-hmm. tells all of these kind of stories and like has been on, featured on a couple of podcasts and things. Mm-hmm. It's he's my new best friend. I know, like, I love him. He looks him. great. It's interesting to me how open Hawaiian culture is. Yeah. We were just talking about Native American and like absolutely, completely, 100% valid to mm-hmm. keep your stories within your culture and not let the colonizers have them. Mm-hmm. Love that for you. Please keep them forever. Mm-hmm. But I also just love how every Hawaiian storyteller is like literally 0.2 seconds Mm -hmm. at all times from telling you every story they know. And with the most dramatic Mm flair they can manage at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. I just love this storytelling culture that they have. It's so Because their stories are great. Yeah. It's like, listen to how fucking great our culture is. Like, Mm -hmm. our stories are wonderful and you should listen to them. Yeah. So yeah, the night marches are ghosts of ancient Hawaiian warriors and they're usually the vanguard for a sacred leader of some kind. So either a 
king or a queen or a chief or a chiefess. Because mm-hmm. um, women can do anything. Indeed. So on nights that honor the four great gods of Hawaii, which we've mentioned in the mythology of place, the night marches are said to rise up either from their burial sites or from the ocean, which is a cool fucking image. Like just all these ghostly warriors coming out of the sea. Yeah, um, that's in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> And it fucks. It does fuck. It does fuck. So they said to like march with the king or queen or chief or whatever in a procession to either ancient battle sites or just generally sacred spots. Uh-huh. They're dressed for battle. They carry spears and they beat war drums and blow conks to announce their coming. They will march from sunset to sunrise and they're suspended in the air floating above the ground so mm-hmm. this is again like these f- flying procession mm-hmm. if you will and they don't leave a trace that they've passed anyone living might hear their conks or drums as they near torches are said to burn brighter as they get closer so cool mm-hmm. any mortal that looks upon them looks at them in general or looks mm-hmm. like looks on them in defiance in some way and the defiance may just be looking at them yeah because there are things where, like, you weren't supposed to gaze upon a chief or a king or mm-hmm. whatever, or certain parts of them weren't meant to be seen by general people, and that carries on in death. But yeah, any more looking on them is said to meet a violent death, uh, usually mm-hmm. by bolts of intense light and flaming heat coming out of the warrior's eyes. <laughs> they just have, like, laser eyes that just burn you and disintegrate you mm-hmm. instantly. Get vaporized, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> However, if they have an ancestor among the marchers, they may be lucky enough that their ancestor will recognize them and call out now, meaning mine, and then no one in the march will harm them, mm-hmm. which I love as well. Yeah. So it, it is said that you can avoid harm by showing respect or deference, by just kind of throwing yourself <laughs> down motionless on the ground yeah. as they pass. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, it's very similar to a Scandinavian belief mm-hmm. with Odin leading the hunt, where you can avoid being like caught up in his yoke as the hunt passes by throwing yourself on the ground. Yeah, I love the distance between yeah. Scandinavia and Hawaii. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible that they didn't have any contact and they just both <laughs> came to this very natural conclusion. But also... Did Scandinavians visit Hawaii? Did Hawaiians visit Scandinavia? I want to know. I want to know. But it's really cool. It's really cool. Man, I love stories. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the the procession of the night marches, like the conduct of them or like the makeup of them will vary depending on who they're escorting. Mm -hmm. Um, So like if it was a king or a chief who loved music, they'll be more chanting and drumming. Conversely, if it was like a quieter or calmer person, you'd will not be as loud Mm -hmm. if it was somebody who didn't like to walk very much they'll be being carried by the night marches yeah i also don't like to walk very much (laughs) so sometimes you get stories of the gods joining the march like presumably depending on whose turn it is yeah they'll be like oh that guy actually fucks let's join in this march Mm -hmm. like we'll we'll go we'll show up for this guy (laughs) it's really cool yeah yeah so in conclusion in conclusion, women can do anything. <laughs> in conclusion, ghosts be riding in the sky. In conclusion, Harley Quinn and her <laughs> hyenas leading the wild hunt. Mm-hmm. So folklore, mythology, 
DC Comics. It's, it's all there. <laughs> the thing is, like I said, when I was a kid, the Wild Hunt terrified mm-hmm. me. So I just pushed it out of my mind and never looked into it any further. But it has been very interesting mm-hmm. to learn more about it doing this episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when we were coming up with episodes for this season, I was like, I did not think of this at all yeah. because my brain was protecting me. <laughs> but we don't need to do that anymore. Now we want to <laughs> join Harley Quinn and her hyenas. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun as hell. And that is all from us this week. You can find all the links to support the podcast and keep in touch at bio.link slash etherandicor. We'll be back in two weeks talking about the king of the mountain. For now, we'll lift a glass and say goodnight. Pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams.